Hey, Benta, there's a new congressional redistricting map out. And it's a very different looking map. It is. And it is interesting. Really interesting. And comes as no surprise. I think we're ready to talk about it. This is Purplish from CPR News, a podcast about Colorado politics, policy, and for this season, redistricting. I'm Caitlin Kim, here with my colleague, Benta Berklin. Hey. So let's start by explaining what this map is. It is a staff map done by the nonpartisan congressional staff, and it takes in the last like two months of public hearing comments and the latest Census Bureau data to re- imagine a a potential congressional map. This map is the first formal staff map. So they put out a starting point map in June, and that's the one we've been talking about so far in this season of Purplish. It looked pretty close to the existing congressional map in Colorado. No big fundamental changes. But this map that came out right before Labor Day weekend is the first map commissioners could actually vote to approve. Right. Now, we should go through what this new staff map does, what the big changes are. And I've got to say, as you're listening, if you can find the map online, and we do have it at CPR.org, it might be a little easier to follow this next part. So I'll wait a second while you pull up the map. I feel like that's that's enough time. So the logical starting point, I think, to look at the map is the third congressional district, because by changing that district's reorientation, it has like this domino effect and it affects most of the other congressional districts in the state. That's true. You can't shift one thing without having to move everything else around. And so just a really quick recap Right now, as it exists in Colorado, the third congressional district includes most of the western slope. It also includes southern Colorado, southwest Colorado, all the way over to Pueblo. The new configuration is a southern Colorado district. So it removes some of the western slope communities like northwest Colorado and Garfield County. Those areas would be put into a district anchored by Boulder. Right. That's the second congressional district, which, as you mentioned, Moffitt, Rio Blanco, Garfield counties, all the way east to Boulder and parts of Larimer, but not Fort Collins, (laughs) and even a little slice of Weld. But most of the population would be in the Front Range counties. One thing that grabbed a lot of attention with the proposed second congressional district is that it draws two members of Congress, Democrat Joe Naguse from Boulder and Republican Lauren Boebert from Garfield County into the same district. So Boebert would move from living in the third congressional district to the second. We'll talk about this later (laughs) in the episode, but I I would say this definitely put the political world in a bit of a tizzy. Right. And I think the original tizzy about the map was the fact that Colorado was getting an eighth congressional district. So if you look a little south of where CD2 would be, This is where the new congressional district would be. It changes a bit from the first map. It's still North Denver Metro, but really focuses on the eastern portion, sort of the Adams County portion. And then it goes further into Weld County to get part of Greeley and even Windsor. It's a district that's about 40% Latino. And that was something we heard in the testimony that a lot of people wanted a district to have that high percentage of Latino voters. Yep, it's definitely also a higher percentage of Latinos than the first proposed map. 
Okay, so moving east to Colorado's 4th Congressional District, the main population centers there would be Fort Collins, part of Greeley, and Highlands Ranch. This would be largely the Eastern Plains District. And we're hearing some pushback from from a, a number of folks. I've talked to Republicans who don't feel like Highlands Ranch really should be with the Eastern Plains. In the, some of the written comments, a lot of people in Fort Collins do not want to be moved uh, to more of a conservative district. Right. So um, if you sweep around a bit further, you know, if you continue sort of that arc around Denver, then you get the sixth congressional district, which is all of Aurora, and then most of the rest of Arapahoe County and a tiny bit of northwest Dugco. And then there is the seventh congressional district, as Sarah Blackhurst of Action 22 lovingly called it the donut hole of Colorado, because it it's really kind of in the center of the state. It would include Jefferson County. It would include Chafee, Gilpin, Clear Creek, Fremont, uh, Teller, and Park. So I, I would sort of describe them as mountain counties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the seventh congressional district would change quite a bit. I mean, there's more mountain communities and the Nonpartisan staff did describe it as a front range district, kind of in the mountain range sense. And then have to highlight the two biggest cities in the state, Denver, Colorado Springs. Those districts didn't really change too much and they were kept whole. Well, El Paso County, part of it does go into the fourth. The fact that El Paso County is as big population as it is, and the fact that it could almost be divided in half, I think just tells you how much growth that county has seen. So whatever you think about this map, it's interesting from a political standpoint because it re-envisions how to represent the different communities of interest in Colorado. What was interesting to me is that I heard pretty positive reviews from very partisan Republicans and Democrats. And in fact, Democrats would say, I bet Republicans don't like this map. And Republicans would say, I bet Democrats aren't happy with this map, which was kind of funny. I mean, not that people didn't have some things they'd like to tweak, but No one I talked to, at least in the political world, was up in arms opposed to this. You know, that kind of surprises me to hear because I actually thought the Republicans would be a little bit put off by this because two of their existing members would have to move, in theory, Boebert out of the new second congressional district, which would kind of make sense since I think Mesa County and Delta are more her power base. And Buck would have to move back into the fourth congressional district. I mean, we have to point out that you don't have to live in the district you represent in Congress, technically, but I I don't think it looks great if you don't live in that district. No, it doesn't. I think that's the first attack ad any competitor does against them if they decide to run in three and four, but not live in three and four. If these lines hold and Boebert and Buck don't move and instead fight for the new district they're drawn into, we would have two open seats, the third and the fourth. And then granted, we have the eighth congressional district. So we could have three congressional seats without an incumbent. Right. But of course, Buck could decide to run in the eighth, and then you would have a sitting congressman running in this new congressional district. But, you know, again, to stress, this is all very speculative. Bent, as you've mentioned, there's still going to be other draft maps that the staff can put out. So we might be putting the cart ahead of the horse right now, but it's always fun to talk about. Yeah, who's going to move where? And then keep in mind, there's a lot of people waiting in the wings, state lawmakers and others who are 
ready to jump in and run for Congress. And they're kind of just waiting to see where the lines are and how it all shakes out. Democrats seemed really happy about Boebert and Nagoose potentially facing off. You know, as, as that would be a Democratic district as drawn. So I don't think that's super likely. But we have already seen some fundraising emails go out from Nagoose about his possible opponent. Yeah, and Boebert has also tweeted about, you know, she was drawn into the second because Democrats were worried about her. You know, I think it's interesting from a lot of different point of views just because they're very different types of lawmakers and they have very different styles. But it would be like just from a, <laughs> a political reporter standpoint, it'd be kind of fun to watch and report on. Moving out of the politics a little bit, we're starting to hear some of the feedback from the public already with some of the online comments and what people are saying about this proposal. The commission really honored what we were hearing from a lot of members of the Latino community. They were asking for Latino residents in the Roaring Fork Valley to be combined with some of the Southern Colorado Latino communities, keeping the San Luis Valley whole, Pueblo and the indigenous communities. So I've heard from Democrats and and Latino groups that they're very, very happy with this Southern Colorado district. And the commission staff said that was the main community of interest that they were prioritizing in this redraw. This is really also a chance to look at whose communities of interest have gotten the attention of the commission. The first map was definitely more deferential to protecting rural interests with a western slope and an eastern plains districts, not including any of the Denver metro area. I will say I've heard different things from the rural point of view. Sarah Blackhurst with Action 22, which, you know, advocates for southern Colorado districts. You know, it's not perfect, but she says there are at least three different districts that will have a large rural voice and, you know, they'll have to work hard to make sure that they are heard, but it's doable. But I also spoke to someone else, a Republican operative that basically said rural Colorado got sliced and diced. When I was reading through some of the online comments, I was hearing a little bit of that frustration from people in in rural parts of the state. You know, let's say you're in northwest Colorado. Currently, you're in a district with all of Western Colorado, for the most part, and a Republican member of Congress. You could be put in a district with a Democrat from Boulder. It's hard to navigate all these different communities of interest. And I will add that one commissioner noted that he thinks the focus over the next couple of weeks needs to be for the commission to prioritize the different communities of interest. So the map is reflective, it's representative of many Coloradans, you know, without disenfranchising others. And, you know, that's just going to be a tough task. I do not envy these staffers. First off, they had to work even more than we did on Labor Day weekend. (laughs) I, I can't even imagine the hours they're putting in. But, you know, voters overwhelmingly approved this process that removes state lawmakers from overseeing this. And at least what I'm hearing and what I'm reading, people aren't saying the nonpartisan staff is out to get one person or the other or help one party over the other. I think that's why we've seen political operatives from across the spectrum be okay with how things stand. They can tell that the commission was listening to feedback and trying to tweak things and create these different options. Yeah, that's exactly what I heard from Josh Penry. He's a Republican political operative, and he was really supportive of amendments Y and Z, which got us these independent redistricting commissions. 
This is a fair process. And in any case, it's vastly preferable to what would have been put forward by you know, a bunch of politicians under under the Golden Bill. And I think that is probably the biggest thing I heard from a lot of different people, right? Like they wanted to take the politics out of this process. And this is this is what we get. And I think especially for Republicans being in the minority, not having control in the state legislature or at the governor's office, things would not look that good for them if Democrats weren't in charge of this. It, you know, there's lots of ways to draw communities of interest that would give Democrats more safe seats. And this map, as we're initially seeing, would have quite a few competitive seats. I think it'll be interesting to see how that discussion moves along in the next couple of weeks. I think we should probably talk about what people can expect. This really sort of jump starts and really quickens the process um, now that the first staff map is out. There's one week of public hearings the commission will get on this map and sort of what people think about the southern map versus the east-west focused map of the original draft. That's right. This this just got real. I mean, for me, it just yeah. it really seems like, OK, this is happening now, people. We got to pay attention here. So the map that's being proposed right now, the commission could vote on this map as is. If eight out of the 12 commissioners support this and keep in mind, including in that eight, you need two unaffiliated commissioners. If you get that supermajority, the process could be done with this map. If the commission doesn't agree to this map, then the nonpartisan staff will draft a second map, get public feedback, tweak it. Then there can be another vote. They will do that a third time, each time trying to get to this supermajority consensus. If after the third map they don't reach eight votes, that staff map still automatically gets submitted to the Colorado Supreme Court. Right. And the state Supreme Court has to approve a new congressional map no later than December 15th, um, because next year we have elections. Yeah, just that, that little thing we'll, we'll have to cover. No big deal. <laughs> no. No. That's it for this episode. We'll be back in your feeds in a couple of days with more of our deep dive on all things redistricting. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Caitlin Kim with my colleague, Benta Berklin. This is Purplish from CPR News.